0: Bitcoin was born in the in the great financial crisis but it was just a toy and you know, now we have another crisis with like kind of similar monetary outcomes and it's not a toy anymore. Like it's, it it is the escape valve now.
1: Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host Peter McCormack. I hope you are all well. Bitcoin is mooning. Happy times. Anyway, on the show today I've got Dan McCardle, who has just recently launched an amazing website casebitcoin.com as a resource for understanding Bitcoin. But before we get into that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. So first up we have BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services. Now with BlockFi you can open up an interest account and start earning interest on your Bitcoin. I have, I've been a customer for nearly a year now and I've earned over one Bitcoin in interest, which is super cool. Also with BlockFi you can use your Bitcoin as collateral and take out a USD loan and you can also fund your BlockFi account directly from your Bitcoin wallet. And with the BlockFi mobile app you can fully manage your account on the go. Now. We're coming to the end of the year, but I know they've got some really big things coming next year. I'm really excited to tell you all about them. So if you are interested in checking out BlockFi, I recommend you do your own research and then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Next up, let's talk about Kraken, my favorite place for buying and selling Bitcoin. The only place I use for buying and selling Bitcoin. And why, you say, Pete, why do you use Kraken? Well, they are consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange and security is really important to me they also have the best in class in customer service so if you've got an issue whatever it is whoever you are wherever you are if you reach out to kraken they're going to get that shit sorted for you and if you want to start trading bitcoin they have every tool you could possibly need so whatever your level of experience if you head over to kraken.com it could not be easier to sign up and start trading bitcoin They also have a beautiful mobile first app where you can buy Bitcoin on the go. And with their margin trading futures and OTC desk, Kraken has every option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. Find out more at kraken.com or download the app. That's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Okay, so on to the show today, and I am joined by Dan McArdle. This is a long overdue show. Dan should have been on the show a long time ago. Proper Bitcoin OG, deserves a lot of respect for what he's done. And also, he just recently launched his CaseBitcoin.com website. And if you haven't checked that out, please make sure you do. It's already become a resource that I am regularly using. Now, with the bull market... We are in the moment where the calls are going to be coming in from our friends and family. The Friends and family, have we've been telling about Bitcoin since it was $3,000. But, obviously, as it's booming, as we're going to hit into the press, as we set a new all-time high, they'll all be phoning us and asking those same questions. Am I too late? I can't afford a whole Bitcoin. What do I do? And if you haven't had that call yet, trust me, they're coming. I'm getting them. I'm getting my DMs. I get my emails, my Facebook messages. They are coming. Now, after you've given them a rundown... Where do you point them to go? Obviously, my 17-part beginner's guide to Bitcoin is a good starting place. I hope you are sending people to that. But if they want to read more about Bitcoin, where can you send them? Now, Dan, setupcasebitcoin.com is something I've already put up on my Facebook for some people actually, but it's really cool. It's a great way to keep on top of all the news. It looks at the macro environment, compares Bitcoin to other key markets and traditional assets, has charts that show you Bitcoin compared to other stores of value, a library full of solid reading materials, and outlines all the Bitcoin different use cases and value propositions. It's really a thorough website, and if you're trying to keep on top of what's going on, i trying to red pill someone in case Bitcoin is the way to go. So I asked Dan to come on the show to talk about that, but just to get in some other things. It's long, long overdue. Now, I hope you enjoy this. As ever, if you do want to reach out to me, my email address is hello at did.com. As I always say, I reply to everyone, and at the moment I'm getting a shitload of emails. You can tell that the market is getting frothy. But do reach out to me. If you've got any questions, if I can answer it, I will. Some of them I can't. Like, for example, this week someone was asking me about how they can use their IRA. Look, that's something I can't answer, but I will do my best, and if I can't, I will point you in the right direction. Outside of that, please do go and check out my other show, Defiance Part 3 of Chaos Is Out, called In God We Trust. It looks at how trust has been destroyed in the institutions of government over the last 50 years so definitely go and check that out that's it defiance.news outside of that have a great weekend and i'll see you
0: all soon
1: anyway man how are you good this is long overdue
0: yeah we talked about this uh yeah a few months ago now
1: yeah long overdue man but i'm glad to finally get you on it's always crap having having gaps having people haven't been on for a while anyway let's let's go straight well actually first thing because this is quite cool as we started literally as i called you we went over sixteen thousand dollars
0: yeah i saw that that's i was looking at the i mean we can talk about this when you start recording if you want but like
1: we're we're, we're recording bro we're on
0: oh. <laughs> okay this is uh, it we're in sure then let's chat about it um i was looking at the uh the 2016 comparison and no, uh, oh, it's crazy. Like if if we stay above 16k, you know, you know, a bit above 16k in 2020, then then this is uh, then this run has gotten faster than uh, late 2016 and going into 2017. It's faster. It it will be if we if we hold above 16k for you know November December.
1: Weird. It feels slower though.
0: Well, 27. Yeah. Well, compared to. Late 2016, when things were were starting to get going, I guess 2017. Obviously, it's when we went crazy. But another thing to keep note of, like when we uh, finally tapped all time high last time, which I believe was uh, very early January. We didn't break it, but we got within a few bucks of it. Uh, it then took another four months to uh, to really get through it sustainably. <laughs>
1: Right. Is that the t- was that the 1200 ish
0: twelve hundred ish? I think was the ETF like all that stuff with the ETF in March. I, I think we hit like eleven thirty or something in uh, in January. And the high was eleven seventy three. If you look at Bitstamp.
1: you th- you think that's gonna? Do you think it's gonna be the same this time?
0: I, I mean, <laughs> I- I've always had this like it annoys me when things are that similar. It's like, is it really that easy? <laughs> Do you really just have to look at the like the past cycle and and you know scale it to today? Um, but so far, I mean, it's playing out extremely similarly, and, and it felt the same in 2016 too. Like 2012, like felt similar to 2016. Like in early 2016, 400 was the new four, and then the second half of 16 played out just like the second half of 12. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. Um, I wonder how much during those periods. I mean, you'll know more more about this than me. How much during each of those new all-time highs, or the way the patterns play out, is that it's controlled by whales, like fully understanding where highs should be and 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 maybe this time is a bit different because the trading is a it's a a lot more complicated now i I mean i don't understand how futures and things like that work but we do have futures derivatives we do have a lot more players in the market i I just wonder if it's a different market this time
0: yeah i I mean definitely the 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 market structure is quite different this time you know it's not it shouldn't be at least (laughs) as dominated by retail you have cme and instruments that uh you know the traditional quant funds and and other, you know, traditional markets players are, are used to, and you know, they can, they can jump into this easily now and they are, uh, and yet we're seeing, you know, very similar price action. I, I mean, I said this in the last cycle too, that, you know, <laughs> that the market is much more developed than it had been in the, you know, 2011 to 2013 era. But, you know, even though things developed substantially, the, the price action seems to feel similar.
1: Mm. So I, you know, it's a really interesting time. I was um, I was training with my personal trainer today. We're on, we're on lockdown, obviously. Yeah. So we've got another three weeks of lockdown, and so like with my last lockdown, I just meet my personal trainer. We go down into the park, and he brings a bunch of gear and makes me hang off trees and drag big heavy bags around the field like a fucking idiot. But he's a Bitcoiner as well. That's how we met. So back in yeah, no, it's really. Do you know what he is like? For me, he is the guy who settles me on Bitcoin. He's the one who kind of grounds me with it all a lot of the time. So when I put weird things out on Twitter and that really fucking wind people up, it usually comes from conversations with someone like him. But he reached out to me. Well, he reached out to me through an accountant back in, it might have been 18, it might have been 17. I can't remember. He was looking to get into Bitcoin. Yeah, and he bored a little bit. And he's been stacking all the way. Yeah, and he's got a nice stack now. He's doing well, but he was saying to me this morning, he was like because he's finally in, on on his average buys. He's in profit because he he had bought at over twelve k UK price when his first buy. So you're talking the yeah. I think back there, and I think the exchange rate was different back then. But but <laughs> but he's but he's been buying from the bottom as well, and, and like his average his average buys. You know, it's, it's a nice. It's a, it's a good place, but he's comfortably in the green on his average by now, like by a few thousand. And, and, in a, and it's a really nice position for him to be in. Like, I think everybody who's you know, bought in a high when they get into the green, it's really good, but he was like, so what are you going to do? Pete, like if he has 20 K you're going to sell a bit. And I was like, I don't think I am. Cause my real struggle with it, Dan is like, I think every time I think I try and time the market. I'll get it wrong. So if I try and sell it 20k, it might shoot straight through and go to 30 and I'll be like, fuck, so I better buy that back, and then it will drop it. i just play that <laughs> right. stupid game. So I'm now in that place where I'm like, the only number I care about going up is my number of sats, right? I don't want that number to go down. But yeah. I don't care about my dollar slash pound amount going up and down, because I'll fuck it up. I will. I will definitely do it.
0: Yeah, no. Uh, trading is is yeah. Obviously, that that's a game for for professional traders, and, and even and even then, I think uh, a lot of people who think that they're long term profitable probably aren't, unless they're keeping extremely detailed records and, and actually know that. Uh, but, so yeah, I mean, I would say like have a you know have a plan for yourself going in and and stick to it because the swings will will mess with your mind.
1: Yeah, I think I, I I went after my massive fuck up where I had a load of, uh, and then lost a the load in mining and other things. All I've done is accumulate and I've just, you know, Matt O'Dell, stack sats, keep growing. That's all I've done. And I decided to go really long term. I said, I'm not, I mean, I, I spend a little bit here or there, like give some away and stuff like that, small amounts. But my general like primary stack, I said, I'm going to do three halvings before I ever yeah. consider like a solid sale which is we've done one. So I've got about another, I think, eight to nine years before I will consider it. Now, my my mind might change, right? It, you know, my mind might change.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I hear that. I, when I kind of first got into Bitcoin in 2011, I said to myself, it was a like, okay, this is like a 10-year kind of moonshot position. and I wasn't going to, you know, think too hard about it until 2021. Well, it turns out I've Thought hard about it for <laughs> for a lot of those in between years, but uh, but still, I, I think I think that you know it's a it's a long term position, and I've never understood people who take you know, who take these positions in, in Bitcoin for like you know a twenty or thirty percent gain, right? Like somebody who treats it you know like an ordinary stock trade. Like the, the volatility is huge. Like, why are you in it for twenty or thirty percent? Like, you should be yeah. either swinging for the fences or, or you know, it's probably not the play for you.
1: Yeah, fucking morons. <laughs> well, listen though, but I think I was um I was on with um Novogratz and Dan Moorhead yesterday, and we were talking a lot about the, the, the things that have changed this year in that. More than ever, right now, I feel like Bitcoin is definitely a credible investment now for very wealthy people and for businesses. It's been like, I call it in some ways, it was happening anyway, but like the Michael Saylor effect, I think has been huge and maybe it would have happened anyway. Maybe I'm just like, ah, oh. I'm not sure if Square go in and buy 50 million without Saylor having done it first. I'm not sure if that was on the cards anyway. I don't know, but... And I don't know if like these other kind of rich billionaires who were talking about owning a bit of Bitcoin or buying Bitcoin would have, would have been doing it anyway. But it feels like now it's I, I'm beyond that point of worrying about the regulatory environment. Yes, I think we should right. be concerned about being overregulated in terms of our you know privacy etc. Yeah. Um, but in terms, I don't think a ban's coming, so that doesn't worry me. Like there's not there's not anything really that's like before. I would have been Dan thinking, right? I don't want to put too much of my money in this because what if it dies in some way? I just that's just not on the cards for me anymore.
0: Yeah, it, <clears throat> I mean this, this gets back to I don't know. So I, I I felt that way I guess out of the 2011 bubble, like it, you know, screamed to 32 and then then back down to below two. And it was so like a 94 percent drawdown, and you know my feeling then was you know. You know you know, I, I I believe in you know the, the fundamental properties of this thing, but is it really going to catch on in the market? Could it Could it die? Could governments ban it? Could it just you know the mindshare just not be there, and it takes twenty years for, for people to care? And then the twenty thirteen run, you know, in spring twenty thirteen, you started to see you know big name VCs get involved, and uh, you know that to me was okay. Like there's there's enough broad mindshare out there that governments can't ban it. You know without a bunch of political backlash, uh, and it's just harder for it for it to die once it gets that spark. Uh, it's funny, I feel like everyone's first bubble, they feel like well, you know in the bear market, they feel like it could die and they don't you know have as as much faith in the resurgence. Uh, but once you go through a few of them, yeah you know, the, the, the subsequent bear markets are are easier you know to see that, that that there's a lot of staying power and you know it's just kind of a matter of time.
1: How, how did you get in? Like, because you say 2011—that's super early. Where did you discover it?
0: Um, I think I saw. So I, I saw the Slashdot post of Bitcoin crossing one dollar in, I think, February 2011, and I like took a quick look and I was like, okay, this is probably trash. This, uh, you know, reminded me of beans and flus from the early 2000s. You know, early internet money attempts, and I was like, okay, this is another one um and then you know when it crossed i think six dollars like two months later i took another look and found you know the bitcoin talk forums and you know, read some posts of like wow this is totally different and that you know remember that that was you know two three years after uh the the financial crisis so I, you know, i was looking into gold gold was on on its run to all-time highs at the time and uh I don't know. I, I like wanted to be a gold bug, but could never do it. <laughs> just because, like, like I'm just going to buy this chunk of metal. Like, why, <laughs> um,
1: dude? But- I nearly did it this year. I, I, I was like, I was like, right. I've got enough Bitcoin. I've got a I've got a lump of cash hidden in a secure location in case there's a run on the banks. I need a bit of cash. What I don't have is gold. Yeah. You know, if the zombie apocalypse happens and we lose power, I need a bit of gold. And I, so I looked into it. I did. I looked into it and i was like firstly i was trying to find where to buy it how to get it delivered like where were like i was like fuck this and i just bought some more bitcoin
0: <laughs> yeah it, well, like, exactly like i you know like I, I wanted to be a gold bug because of because of what was happening in in, in markets and, and monetary policy globally and all that uh, but but gold was just not just disconnected from the real economy and you know so much difficulty with with transporting and you know, storage and all that. And it just doesn't make sense in our electronic economy. And, and, you know, I discovered Bitcoin while like having those thoughts of like, wow, this is perfect.
1: Well, do you know what the killer for me was? It was like, okay, I've got this goal. And like, it's so obvious, right? Okay. Come buy this gold. I have this, this value, this lump of metal, which is, has value. And I was cool with that. But then somebody said, well, what are you going to do when, what are you going to do when you want to sell it? I was like, Hmm. Okay. Hmm what do I do do I, have to sell do, I have to, do I have to do I have to do I have to like like that whole thing do I shave bits off and sell bits do I yeah. do I go do I sell it to a company that I bought it from you know what price will I get how do I then get it to them and I was like shit that's this is the great thing about Bitcoin is I can buy it and sell it instantly I can transfer it instantly it makes it makes so much more sense so and then somebody was like well you could just get a gold ETF and I was like oh, yeah but I want the actual gold Right. Like I couldn't have both with Bitcoin. I get both. I get the instant liquidity and I get to, I get to hold it.
0: Yeah, it, it, exactly. It, it's funny when, you know, people make the argument that, Oh, you know, you can just hold your gold in, in, you know, in, in a gold money account or, or whatever, like just don't get it. Like if you're holding, if you're holding an asset as like fundamental insulation or, you know, an escape valve from the, existing monetary system it can't be in the existing monetary system it can't be held by those custodians it can't be you know confiscatable by you know by existing monetary sovereigns uh and and yeah bitcoin provides the escape that really nothing else does
1: yeah and another thing came i was talking to my brother about it the other night because he was like he still has some bitcoin right a very very small amount but Back in the previous bubble, he had a little play with Bitcoin and Ethereum and you know, made a bit and lost a bit. But he, he kept some. And he was saying, because of his savings, he was like, oh, I, th- I was thinking about getting a bit more, maybe getting some gold. And he was telling me about, he said, the problem I have with gold is like you you don't really know how much there is, right? He said, I've heard rumors that uh, some governments are lending gold to other governments but holding on to it and then they're lending it to other governments. You don't really know who's got what or who holds it. And I was like, Neil, let me tell you something about Bitcoin. <laughs> if you run a node, you can run the numbers, dude. So, like, he's convinced. And it's it's always been that thing. It's like it always, I've, I've talked about this before. It was like that migration from CDs to MP3s. I couldn't do it, Dan. For a couple of years, I still bought CDs. <laughs> I've got a fucking cupboard there with over a 1,000 CDs that have not been touched for years. And I bought them. I carried on buying them for a couple of years. And then eventually I was like, okay, I'm going to MP3s. And I think a lot of people with Bitcoin that the biggest leap of faith is that this thing that they don't know what it is that is digitally representative is worth money. They just don't get it.
0: Yeah, I mean, for sure. And I think it's largely a generational thing. Like, you know, my dad kind of thinks the same way I do broadly on like macro and monetary topics. But he's like a lot more uneasy with the digital intangible aspect of Bitcoin, I you know. I, obviously, I and <laughs> every Bitcoiner kind of thinks that's a feature. You know, recognizes it as, as the, the strong feature. It is that enables things like you know easy, you know, self custody or not easy but you know possible self custody, you know, encrypting and backing up your keys. Uh, obviously, instant transportability. Like the, you know, these are all like key things for you know like self sovereign money. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely takes time to get there. But you know, it's like okay, so so this is a generational thing, mostly, I presume. Uh, so you know, people who would be gold bugs if they were older are going to be Bitcoin bugs. It's just you know, th- this is a generational shift that that's playing out.
1: See, it's always the same arguments. Over, do you, do you know what we need? We need a website. Which makes the case for Bitcoin. It covers <laughs> yeah. all this shit.
0: Well, I've thought that for a while. <laughs> yeah.
1: And <laughs> You finally did. Before we get on to that, let's go back a touch, because you're like proper OG. If you're 2011, like 2013 people are OG. You're like proper OG. What's it been like living through it all? Because I've, I, I can consider myself, what are we, 2020? I'm like three and a half years into this, and it's gone quick, but it also feels like a decade and it's been brilliant, and bruising, and emotional, like, so much shit has happened in my life relating to Bitcoin, that it's hard to really comprehend and and get my head around, but but you've, you've, years before me, what's it been like for you living through it all? uh,
0: Yeah, it's, no, it feels like forever, Um, I don't know, Like like, it's all kind of burned into my mind at this point, like, you know i i got married at 2 dollars i you know had my first kid at 4 dollars my second kid at 400 dollars <laughs> it's like that you know the the chart is uh is burned against against my life for for better or worse but seeing i don't know i guess uh like 2011 through kind of early 2013 was like a special time because it, it was yeah you know, this 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 thing that like everyone was on, was mostly on Bitcoin talk at the time, and everyone was kind of discussing the same same topics you discuss now. Like, you know, where does Bitcoin sit in the you know in the monetary system? Bitcoin versus gold? Is it really going to eat gold? Like at the time, it was like we were just hoping to get to price parity with silver, <laughs> never mind market cap parity. Um, but you know, but it was a small community, and and it was kind of a pipe dream. Like you know, we all kind of believed it could happen, but it was you know five orders of magnitude away or whatever. So the vibe was, was different. Um, and now, you know, now here we are, you know, kind of hitting those, those targets and, uh, you know, kind of the same conversation, but now it's, it's, you know, it's global, which is obviously very like vindicating. um was, you know, nobody, <laughs> nobody cared about, uh, about Bitcoin early on, like the big marketing effort, I think on, uh, on Bitcoin talk in like 2012 or something was, we could try to get zero hedge to mention Bitcoin one time, that would uh, that would broaden the horizons. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> mention it all the time these days. Yeah. What were the um? What were the like? Any key kind of moments where you? Because obviously in 2011, there's a lot. You've got to put a lot of faith in something that's very new, very yeah. A lot of people are dismissive of. that has a lot of risks, but like, what what were the key moments? We were like, holy shit, this is like this is. This is a big moment. This has really changed.
0: Well, it really was that 2013, that spring 2013 yeah. ramp out of, you know, it was like I said, we hit the low of like 191, 1.91 uh, in, in November, 2011. Then, uh, you know, h- doubled off that pretty quickly. And then, you know, hung around around four in early 2012, uh, 2013, we're finally breaking out, you know, above 10 and, uh, and, you know, people were taking notice. Like th- this was, you know, Fred Wilson, Mark Andreessen, you know, people uh, you know, people who, you know, weren't just Anons on, on Bitcoin talk were, were starting to, to talk about, you know, Bitcoin more positively and, and starting to realize its fundamental properties, right? And talk about them that, you know, it wasn't just some like flash in the pan, you know, trading instrument that, you know, you know it really was an ideal you know form of, of money and obviously there's a strong payments narrative at that time So I, I think for me it was like okay once once It was clear that the that there was serious mind share around Bitcoin in you know in the broader world I was like wow this this is actually gonna happen
1: Wow, did you do any of those uh regret purchases like spend 10 Bitcoin on a burger or?
0: <laughs> crazy things I have um I have my my UPS on my computer right here, which I paid like 1.5 Bitcoin for. It's it uh, <laughs> is one of them. Yeah, and yes, I do have a few of those. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah that that was a that was again a conversation I had with my PT this morning. I was like, my biggest problem is is that I don't know. I, I'm I'm scared to spend it now. I'm like I'm scared to spend it because what if I miss something else? Like what if I spend it and it goes up more? And so in the end, it's like, well, is it actually then worthless because I never spend it? <laughs> it's just yeah. worth. my kids will get it and they'll be like, Dad, why the fuck didn't you sell this? And they'll spend it all and buy a Lamborghini or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I I wrote a quick piece on this with uh, Chow Wang from from Sorry a couple of years ago, um, just about like Bitcoin's store of value thesis. And and part of it, you know, we asserted was. That it has to credibly be spendable, or I guess in the language of that piece, we said convertible. Um, so, so you, yeah, you need to be able to trade it or spend it, and you need to, like, obviously, it can't exist in a vacuum without you know that ability, or else, yeah, you get into these like paradoxes, like you just described. Um, but you know, if there's a if the, all you really need is a trading market for it, and then it is convertible to the real economy uh you know with with low friction um and and then then it satisfies its kind of credible threat against you know the existing monetary system
1: next up i talked to dan more about the case for bitcoin but before that i do have a message from my amazing show sponsors okay sportsbet.io have you checked them out yet have you checked out these bitcoiners these people love bitcoin i know this for a couple of reasons. I spent a lot of time with them before the lockdown. I also went to visit them in Estonia, met the CEO, met the team. And you know what? Yes, they are a Bitcoin-based company, but they absolutely love Bitcoin. They want to do everything they can to promote Bitcoin. And what did they do? What did they do? They stuck a Bitcoin logo on a Premier League football shirt, right slap, bang, middle on the front. So billions of people around the world watching the Premier League each week will see a bitcoin logo very very cool now with Sportsbet, they are the best in online gaming and they have a market for everything everything you could possibly be interested in from the premier league to all those u.s sports and for new customers they always have a range of promotions available if you want to find out more head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions sportsbet.io is s-p-o-r-t-s-b-e-t dot i-o And lastly today but not least we're going to talk about security because we're going to talk about casa who are the best in online security i know this because i'm a customer it's about five six months ago i knew my security was really really shit. so i reached out to nick newman the ceo i was like nick come on man help me out let me get this sorted i'm going to screw something up here and i signed up as a casa platinum customer and I'm just really, really got what he said is like Pete will have so much peace of mind because I'm now protected from hackers, my own stupid idiotic mistakes, in-person attacks, a failure of a single device, and so many more things that can go wrong. Now, They do have a product for every Bitcoiner. They have Casa Gold, which offers you triple the security of a hardware wallet, and that is only $10 a month. They've also got Platinum, which I said I have. That also comes at a great price, and with Casa Diamonds, you get their full service offering. That includes a customized personal security review, inheritance planning, and of course, their best in class in security. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security Get your security shit together. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S.ca sc A. Alright, man. Well listen, let's talk about Case Bitcoin. CaseBitcoin.com. Anyone listening, go and check this out by Dan. It's brilliant. It's fucking brilliant. How long has it taken you?
0: Um, well, let's see. I, I guess I guess I started working on it uh about a year ago, uh, but it's been kind of off and on. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, 2020, obviously, just kind of <laughs> accelerated, uh, accelerated the need to, to get this done. Yeah, it, it's uh, I, kind of the genesis was you know, realizing just something that's bothered me forever is, is that it, it's hard to get educated on Bitcoin. You know, it, it's, uh, there are a lot of rabbit holes to go down. Like each persona is, is different. What, you know, what kind of arguments resonate with people are different depending on where they're coming from. Um, and there was also no no like good resource that kind of contextualized Bitcoin against uh, against the macro environment more broadly. Um, so you know, case Bitcoin kind of tries to solve you know both those problems. So you know, showing showing where Bitcoin sits against other macro assets, and 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 also putting various government stats on there. You know, M two, you know, Fed Reserve balance sheet, you know, all these things that came to the fore in in twenty twenty. Um, and then on the qualitative side. Uh, you know, there's you know, put together a library of you know currently a hundred plus, you know, great Bitcoin pieces from dozens of, of authors. Um, to you know really provide you know the resources for for people to go down the rabbit hole in, in one place. And you know, right now the library is is you know just a, a collection organized by topic. Um, of, uh, of all of those pieces, but you know, eventually, you know, this can become targeted to, to different personas. If you know, you're a fund manager an academic, e- even a journalist, like looking at, you know, how how to get up to speed on this. Um, yeah, you know, well, the, the best way is to to you know read read a number of the the great pieces that that uh, that people put together over the last ten years.
1: Yeah, so I really like the thing on the front page with you've got the days above a certain price.
0: Yes, <laughs> so we're. We're uh, let's see, refresh here because the price is moving. I guess we're we're at sixteen thousand sixty six as we speak, and Bitcoin has spent only fourteen days uh, above the current price level. So we have that chart and, you know, Bitcoin versus traditional assets you know, up there on the homepage and then a, and a deeper charts page where you can kind of play around with, you know, Bitcoin's ROI versus other store of value assets. And like, it's funny, it just it just crushes every other asset on almost any time frame. Uh, yeah, so, it's, yeah, it's, it's very,
1: highly compelling.
0: Yeah, when you put it into perspective, like, you know, people think that, you know, there's still this narrative out there that, you know, oh, Bitcoin was a bubble in 2017 and that's that. Well, no, it's not. Like, come look at the data.
1: <laughs> are you uh, do you still deal deal with uh, like what are the kind of common arguments against that you're still dealing with?
0: I mean, so for people who haven't looked into it, you, you know, you get oh, Bitcoin has no intrinsic value, or you know, governments will ban it, or you know, it's too volatile. Like those are those are probably the three biggest ones, um, which. You know, bring this is like another thing i'll, I'll be releasing on, on case bitcoin soon is a, a critiques section uh that kind of goes through these these uh you know these, these arguments one by one um i'll try to steel man the argument and and provide provide the rebuttals um because i think yeah pe- people just you know kind of need to go through this process of, of you know convincing themselves of, of uh you know the rebuttals to all these arguments the
1: i think the v- Of all of them, of the three you said, the volatility one still, I still think is relevant because it is something that's hard to get used to. Like, I don't care anymore, right? I'm used to it. You're used to it. Years of watching it, you'd get used to it. But like, I know, for example, if my brother puts some money, say he put 25% of his savings in, he's going to be looking all the time, dude. And if he sees a 20% drop, he's going to panic and he's going to panic what his wife thinks you know that that is relevant but i also think in terms of companies you know, what michael sayder did was truly incredible but there was a period straight after the price dropped again you know and we're talking yeah. millions of dollars here and i wonder if other companies have been like you know if companies start getting into bitcoin and we peak at it, say whatever the price is say it's all right say it's hundred thousand dollars for the sake of the argument and then we drop back to thirty thousand, and there are some companies right. buying in on the way up right they've, they've got questions to answer to their board
0: yeah. And, and I, you know, I mean, my take on that would be to, to view it as, you know, definitely in the, in the high risk, high volatility portion of your portfolio and, and position sizing is everything. Like you know, if you, if your position is such that you can't handle that, that volatility, then, then, you know, your position size is wrong. But, you know, by the same token, like, so, so I guess that, uh, you know, the most salient kind of volatility related argument is, okay, you you're telling me this is a, a store of value, but you know its volatility is, is is through the roof. That that's not store of value. It's like, well, you know, maybe I would class it as you know an up and coming store of value, or you know, the store of value that that's maturing, something that has the fundamental properties to be a store of value, you know, more durably once it is higher market cap. So then it's just like, okay, like that path from here to there is going to be is going to be volatile. Uh, so you know position, you know, position this in your portfolio accordingly. And, you know, maybe maybe, yeah, maybe in 10 years when it's volatility is a lot lower, you, you can look at it differently.
1: Is there a, have you got a price target for this, this run?
0: Um, <laughs> so for every run, my, my kind of mental targets have been a lot smaller than reality, you know, <laughs> uh, ended up being, I think. I I, I mean, it's funny, like early on, I remember thinking by, by 20, you know, when I initially discovered Bitcoin, I was thinking, okay, by 2021, you know, it would be awesome if it was above $1,500. And, you know, I got to that target because I I looked at it as, okay, it can either, you know, you can either think of it as, as a medium of exchange or as a store of value. If, If you think of it as a medium of exchange, you can then like look at the velocity of money and all that and and, and calculate that if it took ten percent of uh, black market transactions, it would be worth fifteen hundred dollars. And then the store twenty plan.
1: twenty twenty one.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: dude, dude, I'll, dude. I'll if we if
0: we have a quarter cr- of magnitude,
1: if we if we have a crash and we hit fifteen hundred dollars in twenty twenty one, I'll be thinking of you.
0: Yeah, well, like,
1: you were right. You were you were right, dude.
0: The um, anyway, for this cycle, if you look at if you look at uh multiples of prior all time highs i think you know 2017 was or rather 2013 was uh 30x the prior all time high 2017 was 20x the prior all time high so,
1: so what do you go for 10x
0: i don't know so if it's 10x this time i mean obviously that's a huge number and you know, the the counter argument is clearly that you know okay it's it's much bigger now it takes a lot more money to really move it um, but that's always the counter-argument, like, that was true last time, too. Uh, so mm. I, I think the the uh, I, I think the, there's a huge range of possibility here.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think $200,000 would be amazing. <laughs> of course it'd be freaking amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing I'm thinking about, and I don't know if this is relevant, but if we hit, like, a crazy price like that, there's a lot of people who are suddenly sitting on, like, a serious amount of money you know, even somebody with like one Bitcoin and I wonder if people will be thinking, right, now's the time to get out and we will see a lot of down pressure afterwards. Or is that just, is that the same argument every cycle?
0: Yeah. um, I mean, and it, and it happens like, obviously we, you know, every cycle we've gone down at least 80% once we hit the peak. Uh, But obviously you you never know where the peak is. You know, this cycle is interesting though, because it's, there are a lot more professional money managers involved. Uh, So, you know, Traders, macro traders, um, and then you know just people from traditional markets able to express their view via CME futures. So you know maybe that puts some some you know downward pressure you know relative to to what would otherwise happen. Maybe we get a slower rise, and you know, maybe it's not quite as as high as it otherwise would have been, but you know again, I've made similar arguments about prior cycles and been surprised. so.
1: Oh, man. I think it's going to be a very interesting 18 months. I think everything – well, let's say 40 months. I think this year and next year is going to be super interesting. I think, like, the other thing is so many things are lined up right now. Yes. So, you know, we we, we have a very mature environment, a much more mature environment than we had before. We've got weird global issues going on. Um, the The economic situation globally is really, really perilous. Um, I, I don't know if you heard my interview with Lynn Alden, but, um, she just, it keeps sticking with me. She talked about this debt to GDP, debt to GDP ratio of 130%. Yeah. 130, or 135, percent, 130%. And she called that the event horizon where well, you can't come back from that. Yeah. She said 51 or 52 nations have reached that. have seen a, a devaluation of their currency. The only one that hasn't has been Japan, which has their weird stagnation thing. Yeah. Um, you know and uh, one of the was title cameron tweeted it the other day that the us debt to gdp ratio is 130%. so th- the the obvious way to pay it off is through inflation and i think it was oh, what's, yeah. what's his name what's the um what's the fed guy? Uh, Powell. Uh, jerome Powell. yeah who said they're targeting inflation 4%. Yeah. In multiple years of 4% inflation could be coming. um so a lot of things are lining up. yeah to um, sure. support bitcoin are you feeling that?
0: yeah, absolutely. It's like Bitcoin was born in the in the great financial crisis, but it was just a toy. And you know now we have another crisis with like kind of similar monetary outcomes, and it's not a toy anymore. Like it 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 is the escape valve now. like this this can this can actually absorb the flows and and you know people broadly are better understanding the arguments uh for bitcoin in this in this environment so yeah i absolutely feel like things are are lining up like you know to your point about you know or lynn's point about you know debt to gdp like yeah but i mean if you look at if you look at you know how you know, how, how the government's gonna have to roll the debt so you know, just kind of issue issue more bonds to pay the interest on existing bonds. Like there, there's only one way out long term. You know, you can argue about you know, like, will we get stimulus or not, or how much is it going to be. It doesn't matter. Like the, you know, the the money printer has to go burr no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> it was before COVID. Like it, this just accelerates things. Uh, so yeah, they, you know, they're not going to. You know, they can't let there be a deflationary crash like it's too far gone you can't just default on the debt you, you know that will you, know, you could get a 1930s scenario so you know the, the only other way out is, is through inflation people are going to look to escape the inflation through hard assets like bitcoin is kind of the most liquid frictionless hard asset and, and it's tiny currently compared to you know other asset classes that that absorb those flows so obviously that that sets up a great scenario for Bitcoin.
1: And the default, you say they can't default, do you think that's because what the USG has to protect the dollar's reserve status and, you know, you have down rate gradings and ratings of it as a you know, is it because of that?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's a it's kind of a nuclear bomb to the financial system if the US defaulted on yeah. its debt with, with, you know, I don't know, it's a 14 trillion or something in, in bonds outstanding. Wow.
1: Shit. Okay. More, we right? had a-
0: Cause the debt is 27 trillion. So yeah.
1: So we had a weird thing this week. I uh, got this guy. Oh, what's his name? Rishi Sunak. Um, he's essentially, um, hold on. I can't remember his bloody job title. Uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer, Exche- Chancellor of the Exchequer. He's kind of in charge of, uh, the numbers here. Um, and what he was saying, I'm going to dig it up, but he's talking now about how we pay for COVID. Um, and so, do you, have you heard of the Chancellor of the Exchequer?
0: No, I haven't. Yeah.
1: So, do, so our Prime Minister lives at Number Ten Downing Street, and I'm pretty sure Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, lives next door. But he's essentially. Uh, in charge of the numbers for the country decision making. So when we've gone into lockdowns, he was making the announcements in terms of furlough schemes and where money's going to support businesses and such as such. We've had a massive investment of money going into the arts, for example, because all the theatres are closed. And they're all screwed because they're all closed. So they've just stuck millions into the theaters. But there's people needing money in every direction. There's all the lower league football clubs below the Premier League. We have all these other football clubs that are struggling. So everyone in every direction needs money. We started to come out, start and talk about how we start to pay for this now. And the the first policy rumor is a is a, basically it's a middle class raid. We have um, so we have uh, income tax bans of which predominantly the top band I think, is 40%. Um, but I think if you earn over 100000 you pay a higher rate. But we have only 20% on um, capital gains. I don't know what it's like. In, what is it in the US? Do you have a different capital gains?
0: Yeah, it depends on if you're short-term or long-term and what your income bracket is. But yeah, it, it basically ranges from 15% to, to what your ordinary income rate is.
1: Right. Well, they're thinking of lining up with income tax. So basically, there's no with capital gains there's no benefit outside of income so some people could be end up seeing a massive increase in what they'll be paying i think that's going to have capital gains yeah yeah and that's again fucked because there's a lot of people who invested in things like the you know sensibly invested their money whether it's bitcoin whether it's um property whatever it is they've sensibly invested their money and now they're going to pay a higher tax on their returns it's as ever the prudent people being the ones being punished, um, right. and I think we're gonna just see more and more of this.
0: Yeah, ta- taxation is one way they're gonna try to get out of it, but it's it's. I mean, yeah, it, that that like whole like tax the rich, blah blah blah, like that that's more kind of narrative in my mind than anything else. Like that, it, there's just not you. Just, there's just not enough money to tax to to solve the debt problem. You you have to inflate it away.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. I don't want to be selfish because I don't want to see people go through difficulty. I guess inf- inflating in a way is good for Bitcoin holders, but yeah, you know, higher capital gains is bad. You probably get screwed either way.
0: Yeah, I mean the high, the cap gains. It, it's funny because yeah, you can look at that another way in that uh, if cap gains is higher, that just incentivizes you know, hodling for longer.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah or maybe just need to find a way of i I guess for me i'd have to be better with my privacy and better with my coin joining and finding a way to sell my bitcoin that so nobody
0: knows yeah that's uh it's hard to do
1: (laughs) but i mean i don't i wouldn't recommend that because that's illegal everyone should pay their tax no fuck the government um i also am interested to know uh, just trying to track these kind of messages that are coming out was it the uh, who's talking about the great reset was it the imf
0: um i believe so yeah I, i haven't i haven't you know read all the recent documents on that but yeah i mean there's there's talk of you know bretton woods too obviously central bank digital currencies uh so you know this this is a time of kind of transforming monetary policy globally
1: yeah the great reset translates as we're about to fuck you
0: (laughs) yeah so so i don't know i've tweeted it a few times but uh in i don't know 2013 or 2014 i think the imf came out with a, a a document you know where they're kind of talking about how to deal with the debt situation like this was on the back of Of the the eurozone crisis and the Greek default and all that and like you know serious questions about whether whether the eurozone will break up uh, in response to all this monetary stuff and and they they came out with uh, a uh, they called it a an option that that you know something they would potentially do in the next crisis and they called it a one off capital levy uh, where they would uh, they basically say in in you know central bankers speak. That, uh, or bureaucrats speak that uh, they will just take money out of people's bank accounts suddenly. That this is one way to deal with a debt crisis. That they will basically shut the banks down suddenly. You know, you know, give everybody a you know they didn't specify a number but ten percent, twenty percent haircut, whatever it is, just straight out mm-hmm. of your bank account. And uh, and they theorized in this document that if they do that one time and if people and if it's sudden such that people can't escape it, then then it could work. And and uh, you know my, my attitude to that is well, okay, here's a fantastic reason to you know to put some money in Bitcoin, like it it is the escape from things like that.
1: Well, you, well there's a double reason one one to protect it, but the day that happens, the day they do the haircut, the price of Bitcoin flies.
0: Yeah, I mean we yeah. That that was you know that was the the narrative in in 2013 too with all the Greek stuff.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, what was that? Was it was it fifty percent of everything you had above a hundred thousand euros they took? Something like that.
0: Yeah, something like that. It was fun. There was um, there was a guy who had who had something like I don't know eight or nine hundred thousand euro in um, in a Greek bank account, and he was a bitcoiner, and he, he like I remember this in 2013, he he posted screenshots of of his bank account, and I. Like he got he got destroyed. <laughs> like, they just yeah you know, just took the money. It, they, they they took the money and I, I think they converted it to shares of the banks, which i <laughs> have actually seen Bitcoin exchanges do exactly that. <laughs> but uh,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, that's true.
0: In response to hacks. Uh, but yeah, whole other thing when that's happening. Yeah.
1: Well, so, I mean that's like like slightly different. I mean Bitfinex did that didn't? But they didn't they make everyone good.
0: They, they did, but uh, but, mm. but for a time, the the equity in in the platform that they gave, you know, victims of the hack was was not you know as valuable as the money that was taken. Uh, so there mm. was there was a time when you know people were underwater on that. But in the end, yes, that yeah. worked out quite well.
1: I'm pretty sure that Greece thing, I, I always get confused what, which what happened in Greek and, and Greece and Cyprus because they were slightly different. Oh, sorry.
0: But, yeah, I, I, I might have misspoke. I think that was Cyprus. No, I am thinking about
1: it. Yeah, but what I do remember, well, I, but I remember the Greek stuff as well because some stuff did come out that, I don't know if you know about this, but I'm pretty sure the Greeks get 14, they, or they used to get 14 months pay a year. So, you should get a double month in Christmas and a double month in the summer. So, an extra month to pay for Christmas, extra month to pay for their summer, something like that. Okay. So, that was a thing they had. But I think it came down from the IMF. The IMF, like, there was the terms of the loan. If you want this loan, oh, you've got to really? take a haircut. Yeah. And it was just like, whoa. And I think if I'm, I'm something's going to go wrong over the next decade, whether it starts next year or the year after. I mean, I'm assuming it'll start slowly, perhaps start with like austerity programs, which we've, by the way, had in the UK and they've not been popular and haven't really worked, then I think it'll be a tax raid. And then I think potentially they just still won't have enough money because they're still going to be trying to stimulate. They're still going to be trying to spend on government programs. I don't think anyone's come out and said, you know what we need? You know what we need? We need smaller government.
0: Yeah, Uh, that seems obvious to me, (laughs) especially when, you know, in the US, you, you have this you know election where... Each side just hates the other side. It's like, come on guys, isn't, isn't it obvious that the solution is it shouldn't matter as much who the president is? Just make government smaller. So that's the case. Mm. Anyway, picking up on what you just said about kind of how to solve this and austerity and whatnot. I actually, I don't think the austerity narrative is there this time. I think this time the narrative is MMT. It's like, actually, okay, we can get ourselves out of this by kind of you know taking a different view of, of how you know government you know, money printing interacts with with the economy and you know make it much more politically palatable.
1: Mm, well, with the uh, CBDCs, M and T becomes a little bit easier. But some of that shit's been sort of that scaring the shit out of me because I was looking into these CBDCs. Like I, I was seeing people talking about it, I was like, "Oh, that's just like some government stable coin, blah blah blah." You know, I won't have to use it. And then I, what I didn't realize is that actually the what the end game is. The end game is likely no physical cash. Right. It's issued by the central bank. You don't ever actually own money. You have a you have a representation of it. But it scared me in situations like okay, so for example, say if you get um, a speeding fine or a parking fine, they just deduct it immediately from your account. Right. Which doesn't allow you to time it. So it's like okay, that's pretty fucking scary. But then it's like hold on, they can do anything. Then they can take. The money at any point they can seize it they can yeah. tax it they can just do whatever the fuck they want and you never have any money of your own it's always theirs and then that is like some of those like dystopian socialist. Um, and i'm i I, lo- I don't like using the term socialist because i think it's used a lot and it's used in the wrong way yeah i think people misuse it but those kind of like dystopian socialist kind of ideas actually start to seem like they're coming
0: Yeah, freaks me out a bit too. Yeah, no, it it freaks it freaks me out too. I it like I would be a lot more freaked out if if Bitcoin didn't exist. You know, it it does feel like there's you know we we do have this you know this this potential to escape. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, central banks want to do you know CBDCs to to make monetary policy easier. That that includes you know things like uh, negative interest rates that can be just kind of easily implemented at the you know, at the layer of of you know the money itself like in 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 your bank account itself, which is you know, very attractive when you to to, you know, to to governments when when they've got these big debt holes to fill.
1: Yeah, so let's, let's let's set it up so we can have CBDCs where we never control the money. We're going to have health passports so that if you want to travel from one country to another, you have to prove that you've had the COVID vaccination mm. because they want to protect. But but somebody said to me, actually, you might even get that locally if you want to go into the gym or the pub. The, they don't want people getting infected. Yep. So actually, then you have you therefore have tracking for everywhere you go. <laughs> and I was like, I don't... Look, like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Most of the time, I'm like, yeah, no, it's just bullshit. Um, but we are seeing this push towards it. And it's funny you said... You say, well... I don't know what I would have done without Bitcoin. The funny thing is without Bitcoin, I, I, I would have just likely be one of those people who just went along with it. And said, oh, that kind of, that makes sense. Like yeah. Bitcoin opened my eyes to this
0: stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's definitely, definitely a lot of that effect. Um, it, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of agree with you. Like, you know, I'm not, not a conspiracy theorist either. That I, I think most of the time, you know, people are just kind of acting on their, their local incentives. And you know, the simplest explanation is, is the correct one. And in this case, you know, with all the stuff you can you can see like it's just kind of the evolution of these systems as they get bigger and bigger they just have inertia keep getting bigger and bigger and people think oh they, you know, well, now we have the capability to track everyone's health or we have the capability to you know to mess with everyone's money so you know we should do this for the greater good and you know it's not some like top down we want to control you know the population you know et cetera. Et cetera. Mm,
1: i don't believe in the big conspiracy idea that a group of people are sat around a table saying right let's control the people let's control their money right let's control their access this track i think what happens is they deal with problems as they come in and they see benefits to them i don't think they see the dystopian idea themselves right exactly um like the health but the health passport thing makes rational sense you can argue it in a rational way i don't like it i don't want it now, I have not had the track and trace in the UK. I just don't like it. But you can see the logical argument in that, like outside of the bunch of people who think COVID is just like uh, a big hoax and like it exists and people are dying. That's a fact. The numbers, you can argue over that. But I, at the same time, don't like the idea of being told to come to this pub, you have to prove you've had a vac- vaccination, you have to have a scan for a couple of reasons. You just you know everywhere you're going is being tracked. And I just don't like that idea. It's just a bit too much for me. Yeah. But I can see rationally how they make the arguments for it.
0: Yeah, totally. it's 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 almost more insidious actually this way without the big conspiracy theory because it because it is just like, you know, individual agencies, individual people even like making you know making these calls on a one-off basis. And it, it just is kind of the natural progression of you know, these systems when when they get so large. So that's you know why I would, you know one of the reasons I would argue for for smaller government. But uh, it's just that you know it, it's hard to break this inertia once it gets going, because uh, nobody's yeah. you know nobody's looking out for you know the, the, the system as a whole and uh, you know what what this means if uh, you know, if we do go down this pathway of everything being trackable and you know, government having so much power, like you know eventually you do get truly malicious uh, malicious actors in the mix and things can go go haywire pretty fast.
1: Yeah, I think I think what's happening in the U.S. right now as well is is like a good argument for, for for it all because this is where I'm like so I always try and see both sides, Dan. I try and understand where you know, left wing people are coming from, where right people, right wing people are coming from. I'm considered right of center in the U.K. I think from people who are right of center in the U.S. I'm considered left of center, <laughs> uh, but I try and understand it all, and I can see why people who are more to the right. Are seeing these things happening and trying to fight against it, and I ab- absolutely support that. But I also see what's happening with like this fight in the U.S. right now. That every, I don't know, it's it's a perfect argument right now, like you just said, for less government because if nobody's making the argument for less government, they're just fighting each other and creating this bigger government anyway. I mean, you know, it's when people on the right say, oh, you know, they talk about defending Trump or defending the right, saying they offer more freedoms, they're still part of the same bullshit. Yeah. Still same apparatus.
0: Yep. I mean, you can just, you know, if you want to just have like one metric to look at it, like just look at how much, you know, what what the U.S. budget is under any administration. Like it just keeps going up. <laughs> like nobody.
1: Up and up and up.
0: Yeah. And that is, you know, that number is, you know, it's obviously, you know, it, it tracks how important government is in the economy and therefore in your life. Like, I think you want that number to be smaller, but neither party makes it smaller.
1: No, no. And that's a good argument, because, like, when I talk to, like, the libertarians or, you know, start talking about anarchism, and I'm like, I, I don't know, I just struggle with buying it. I just want smaller government. And they're like, yeah, but you never get smaller government. I'm like, okay. And I'm always trying to figure out what what's the end game here, because the end game is, the end game looks like it will be all the anarchists can turn around and go, look, fucking told you, we told you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I told you this
0: was coming. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe um, yeah, maybe the end game is more sovereign individual like where, uh, you know, where where you know, technology does you know, kind of make the state less important since you know, more functions of government can be credibly done through tech. Uh, but who knows? Maybe, I don't know if things get a lot worse before that happens or not.
1: I've got to read that book. I've got that book here. I've got two books here. I'm look, keep looking me in the face. I've got the yeah. Sovereign Individual and the Fourth Turning.
0: Oh yeah, I haven't read Fourth Turning. I'm, I'm rereading Sovereign Individual right now. I read it a long time ago, uh, but reading it like now that now that you know Bitcoin exists is, is a whole other view.
1: <laughs> what did you read Sovereign Individual before it existed?
0: I, a, a while ago, uh, I, I skimmed it at the time, um, but yeah, like I read. Uh, some of neil stevenson's work and you know kind of in the early 2000s you know after the internet bubble
1: Uh, okay all right well listen look let's get back to bitcoin we just dipped back under sixteen thousand as we got a little bit into the weeds of politics and now we're back over i think yeah I think I think we're going to get comfortably above that today. That's that's my prediction. So listen, look, looking ahead, what are what are the things that you, you obviously think about this a lot, Dan? You know, especially with your website and your work and your day job. Like, what are the things that are on your mind now with Bitcoin? Because we've got essentially we've got an a, a, like an evolving market. We're going to have a lot of new people coming into the market. One thing, for example, is custody. We're like, where are you on custody? Because there isn't in I would say a growing acceptance that allowing others to custody for you you know not custodying yourself There's a growing acceptance from some people that that's not always the worst scenario right um i self-custody and i always will and i would always recommend and try and help people to do it but i can understand how some people don't want to and it feels like we have better and more trusted custodians these days that you could perhaps trust do you do you give any weight to that or you're like no fuck that everyone should custody
0: well no. so yes in, in an ideal world everyone should custody but you know we don't live in that world people you know people have a hard time with you know with with the tech that you, you know you need to understand and be very careful with to to self custody even though you know hardware wallets are, are a great solution i you know i would argue that you know, anyone who's kind of determined to uh to take this on can you know you can do so, you know, with, with a with a hardware wallet with a reasonable risk profile. Um, but you know that they're if you're just getting into the space, that you know you're probably not going to be that determined. Um, and you you know you want to get a little bit of exposure, which you know helps you, you know, have incentive to go deeper down the rabbit hole. So you know, buying you know buying Bitcoin on and, and keeping it on some uh, trusted platform, you know, makes sense in that environment. And yeah, the the situation with with custodians is much different than it used to be. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm okay with that. I, I I think the key thing, the key thing the Bitcoin ecosystem needs to maintain is the credible ability to take self custody quickly. So you know, if there's a ton of Bitcoin on exchanges, you know, exchanges need to have. You know, allow withdrawals to self custody addresses. You know, obviously that's become a topic in the ecosystem lately, with you know, with all the stuff around the Financial Action Task Force and the Travel Rule. Um, you know, whether exchanges will be pressured, you know, from from governments to disallow withdrawing to you know non kyc you know addresses. And I, you know, I think we have to we have to stay we have to stay vigilant against that. Like the industry needs to fight hard. Uh, if there's ever serious pressure uh to to disallow withdrawals to uh, to self custody addresses so you know for me it's all about that credible threat that needs to exist
1: yeah it might come though what you're saying like one of the things i've yeah you know, run through in my mind is that as much as we want and people want you know absolute privacy with bitcoin they want absolute you know they just don't want the government knowing what they've got what their balances are they want to be able to manage their addresses is, is there a possibility that one of the trade-offs for not having Bitcoin banned is that it is fully tracked? I know that sounds awful, and people don't want it. But is it just this digital gold? Okay, you might not have full privacy, but what you have is you do have this, you know, life raft from fiat money. Like, it, is that the trade-off that might end up happening?
0: Well, the the trouble is that like the the you do need privacy to to maintain yeah. kind of to maintain the digital gold thesis. Really, like you need.
1: Okay, explain that to me.
0: You, uh, if you don't have privacy, that so you know the 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 scenario you're insulating against, you know, well, one of the scenarios you're insulating against is is you know the government goes crazy with monetary policy and tries to tries to ban all other life raft, you know, financial life rafts. There there are plenty of good arguments why that's actually impossible for them to do currently, um, but you know that is one of the scenarios you want to protect against. And if you don't have privacy, if the government knows where where all the Bitcoins are, the real names of people that hold it, then, you know, obviously they, they have great power to compel you, you know, get a knock on your door one day. And, uh, you know, that, that's pretty compelling. Uh, so, you know, privacy is, is a component of, of this, you know, maintaining a credible escape.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. I still think people can use it as a tool. It's just a, like it's an inflationary hedge tool. The twenty-one million is still twenty-one million. Um, obviously, we want privacy. This this travel rule thing, like, how serious is it? Like, how close is it to coming? in? Are, are people fighting against it?
0: Um, I, I, I haven't seen a you know strong fighting against it yet. I, I mean, there you know, Coin Center has produced some some good commentary, and. I think people are gearing up definitely to, to fight if it if it gets more onerous. Uh, but I, I believe the current, um, I believe that, you know, what's happening currently is, you know, exchanges are trying to comply or are going to comply with, uh, you know, the, the travel rule as currently stated, which, you know, says if you're, if a financial institution is transferring, you know, more than X amount of value to another financial institution, then the account at the other financial institution you know, the owner of that account needs to be known and included in the transaction, like actually shipped in the transaction data. So then there's, you know, there's always, uh, you know, you can always track back the chain of, you know, if you're sending from one institution to another, that money is fully traceable throughout its, you know, entire transaction graph. But again, that's, you know, if you're sending money from Coinbase to Kraken or Kraken to Bitfinex or whatever, you know, th- then it would have those, those KYC uh, built in. As far as i'm aware there's you know there's no you know nothing on the table preventing exchanges from trans you know allowing transfers to your own wallet that you control like you as not a financial institution uh so i think we're we're in you know where we are right now with you know how the regulations are written is fine um you know yes exchanges will you know start KYCing when you're transferring out to another institution uh but as long as you can always transfer out to your own wallet I, you know i don't think anything anything about you know bitcoin's you know use cases or value proper narratives is, is under threat all
1: right what, what else is on your mind anything else before we close out any big things you think people need to be thinking about
0: well one thing as uh <laughs> you know as these rallies get started um you know you you may have you know a healthy Amount of Bitcoin now, and you know you're, you're you're storing it in a way that you know makes sense for the amount of money it's currently worth. Um, but you know, if if things go crazy, you can find that it's a lot more money and a much bigger percent of your net worth real fast. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, you have a very inappropriate <laughs> storage setup and you know security setup. So I, I would uh, strongly advise people get out ahead of that, such that uh-huh. yeah, you're not like you know you're not like scared to turn on you know, your laptop or something.
1: <laughs> well, there's another benefit to that as well. I, you know, so I, um, I you know, yeah, are a sponsor, but before they became a sponsor, I signed up with them because I was worried about something similar. Um, but one of the great things about that, for for now, like I haven't shared how I've set my Carter up. But the only thing I would say is that if I want to move or sell any Bitcoin from my Carter, it's a multi-day operation now. Yeah. Like I have to really plan it. So that makes it really hard to spend <laughs> Yeah. so the more people who do this the, the more it restricts supply as well which is kind of like this added benefit but it's a fucking pain for me to to actually move any of my bitcoin now which is kind of a I think it's a good thing for me
0: yeah um, that can that can that can definitely save people from themselves
1: <laughs> all right man but people need to get their security shits ordered all right well listen look it's great to talk to you dan love just i love these ones where i just shoot the shit with somebody um but people should definitely check out casebitcoin.com was, was case4bitcoin.com already gone?
0: Uh, no, I, I just liked the, uh, I like the shorter URL. like yeah, the
1: shorter URL, casebitcoin.com. All right, if people want to follow you as well, where do they find you?
0: Uh, hit me up on Twitter. I am at robustus. And that's, uh, yeah, it's the best way to get in touch.
1: Well, listen, the website's brilliant. I love it. I'm going to be sharing it out uh, with some people, but I'll also share it in the show notes. And I wish you the best, man. And love chatting to you, dude. All Take care.
0: Right. Oh, thanks for having me. Good talking.
1: All right. What did you think of that? As another banging show, right? Great to get Dan finally on the show. It's been a long time overdue recording. Dan is an OG. He's done so much for Bitcoin. So I'm glad he finally came on the show. And I really enjoy these conversations. You know, the ones that aren't super planned, where we just get to shoot the shit. Always ends up going into areas you don't necessarily expect. And it was cool to get in some of the macroeconomic stuff with Dan and why Bitcoin is ripping at the moment. Um, hear about why you know his experience of previous bull runs and, and compare it to those. Um, the funny thing is, we only actually recorded this a few days ago, and I was excited that Bitcoin had broke sixteen thousand during the interview. And now, when I'm recording this uh, intro and outro, it's uh, over eighteen thousand. Did have a little, did have that little dip, but. You know, it's, held, it's holding back over 18,000, which is super cool. It's looking very, very hot for the next year. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. You know, as always, if you've got any feedback, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoin did.com, and I do reply to everyone. Well, I ignore the occasional weirdo, but I pretty much reply to everyone. So feel free to get in touch. If you want to support the show, tens of thousands of you download it, but I only have thousands of reviews. So some of you haven't left me a review, if you don't mind doing that, it's a two-minute job, and it really helps with the show. Just go onto iTunes and tell everyone how amazing my podcast is. (laughs) Or tell tell everyone it's shit, I don't care, but at least leave me a review. Outside of that, on my other podcast, Episode 3 of Chaos Is Out, In God We Trust is looking at the breakdown of trust over the last 50 years. That's at defiance.news. Have a great weekend, love you all, and see you all soon.